Amen. Thank you to the team. Good morning, everyone. It's great to see all of you again this morning. And to those of you joining us online, I'm thrilled that you're here with us. Uh, I'm expecting that the kind of hit count for this week will be a little bit down because I've seen a couple of faces this morning that I haven't seen for nearly two years. And so it's really great to have you in church again with us. Uh, but by the same token, or at the same time, I should say, I'm thrilled that we get to do online as well. Uh, you know, I'm thrilled that we're able to share together. We're together in spirit, if not in body. Uh, and so it's, it's fortunate. I think we're blessed that we can do that. For those of you who weren't here last week, uh, I told you of my recent bout with COVID or my battle with COVID. Uh, thank you for all the prayers and the emails and everyone kind of encouraging me. Uh, I'm glad to hear that by being forced to speak a little slower, you were better able to understand me. So I will try and take that to heart and speak a little slower, but I can't promise once I get my voice fully back uh, and then, you know, you can try and keep up and, and God will bless you and it'll be all good. Uh, for those of you who also weren't here last week, we finished our service with our annual general meeting straight after church. Uh, we gathered together as the membership of White Rock Baptist Church in our annual general meeting. And at the end of that meeting, I had the opportunity to just share a little bit of looking ahead. And, and what does it mean for White Rock Baptist Church as we look ahead over the coming year? I'm not going to repeat the whole thing I said there. That will come out over the next few weeks and months. But the very first thing I said as we look ahead is I believe that God is calling us to pray. God is calling White Rock Baptist Church into a posture and position of prayer. Uh, and so over the next couple of weeks, I'm going to encourage you to keep your eyes open as you get your weekly emails from the office, uh, because we are going to create a couple of opportunities around the church and through a couple of the weeks at the end of April and beginning into May, four times of prayer as we come together and as we specifically pray that God would revive not only White Rock Baptist Church, but that God would revive the churches on the peninsula uh, and that we would have a gospel impact right where God has placed us. So make sure you join us for that. That's it as far as kind of what's coming. Uh, today we finish off our series uh, how did we get here? And, and I've really enjoyed it. Uh, if perhaps you're joining us for the first time today and you're wondering what on earth that's all about, we'll try and explain some of that as we go. Uh, you might want to check out some of our previous sermons online over the last few weeks. Now, you all know what I do, so I don't have to explain that to you. Uh, but every now and then, I find myself uh, perhaps at a function, at a gathering, uh, talking to people who are not exposed to church life. Uh, I might meet with somebody and just kind of, we get chatting and they'll eventually ask, well, what do you actually do? Uh, and I'll go, I'm a pastor. And, and I see that kind of look of, well, what does that mean? You know, what, what on earth do you do? You know, what do you do all day? What do you do all week? Uh, you know, they haven't yet kind of figured out that church joke that I only work one day a week. Uh, you know, they're just confused as to what on earth do you do? 
when I was part of a running club in South Africa, uh, they were so confused by this thing called pastoring, and some of them had had a bit of a Catholic upbringing, and so they had sort of a bit of an exposure uh, to church life, even though they were, you know, they had long since left the church. So they gave me a nickname, and they affectionately referred to me as Father Brian. Uh, I was Father Brian, and I was there to minister to them. It was always entertaining listening to them try and explain to somebody else what I did. Uh, You know, they would often go, well, Brian's been sent by God to save us. He's just failing at the moment. (laughs) And other times they would say, well, Brian, is he gets to speak to God for us, or he gets to speak to God about us, kind of the same thing. You know, people kind of say, well, what do you do all week? And now I joked at the beginning about, I know you guys know what I do. Any of you wonder what I do all week long? Yeah. Even my own youth pastor is like, Brian, I don't even know what you do all week long. I like to joke with people that basically I answer questions and I solve problems. That's what I do all week long. I answer questions and I solve problems. I get emails like, Brian, uh, is there a specific song you want done in church this coming Sunday? I'll get another email or a phone call. Brian, what did Paul mean when he wrote this passage? I might get a question of, Brian, can you officiate our wedding? Brian, can you pray for my family member? Would you come and visit with us? Uh, Brian, what should I do in this position or in this place? And so it goes on and on. I answer questions and I solve problems. Now, sure, I have a job description and there's some expectations of what I'm supposed to do. But you know what? I find myself slightly changing that question. Instead of asking, what do I do all week long? I tend to ask, what should I do all week long? What should I do? Regardless of what a job description says, God, what should I do? And I hope that for many of you, that's a question you ask yourself. Regardless of where you find yourself, regardless of your employment or or your retirement stage or your phase of life, regardless of where you find yourself, I hope you ask that same question. God, what is it that I should do this week? That's a question of purpose. God, what is my purpose? What is your purpose for my life? I've quoted it before, but for those who don't know, the Westminster Shorter Catechism begins with the question, what is the chief end of man? And really what that question is asking is, what is the purpose for humanity? What are we supposed to do while we're here in this thing called life? Why are we here? And the the catechism goes on to answer, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. What is humanity's purpose? Why are we here on earth? We are here to worship God and to love. We're here to love God and love others as we worship God, as we serve people. And sadly, too many people worship self. Too many people love self. And instead of loving others, we use others. And we wonder why the world just seems so enchained or so caught in bondage. And that's kind of part of the reason why after Easter, we're diving into the book of Galatians. And we're looking at this idea of living free in a world of chains. 
And the reason we're in a world of change is because people have confused and they've changed this idea of worshiping God and serving others to say, I worship myself and I serve myself. Is it any wonder the world seems so messed up? And so over the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at this idea of who are we? And when I say we, I mean who are we as a community of believers? Who are we when we come together? Yes, there's a sense of White Rock Baptist Church, but it's far more than just this local little congregation. It's this idea of who are we as we come together corporately as Christians, as disciples of Jesus. And so we've looked at some of the distinctives that we hold true and hold dear to ourselves. These distinctives that help lead us into that place of worship and service. And today I'm closing off probably with one of my favorite distinctives. Uh, the distinctive of the priesthood of all believers. The priesthood of all believers. Why don't you turn to somebody next to you while I take a sip of water and tell them, hey, you're a priest. Isn't that a scary thought? Some of you are thinking, what on earth do you mean I'm a priest? Well, this is, this is kind of what we believe. And let me explain part of why we believe this. It's born out of church history. There's, there's a context here. In John chapter 4, Jesus is speaking with a woman at a well. And in the middle of this conversation, this woman asks Jesus, where's the right place to worship God? And the reason, the reason she asks that question is because her group decided that this mountain was the right place to worship God. Meanwhile, the Jews declared this mountain was the right place to worship God. And so there was this question, well, where is the right place to worship God? And of course, Jesus answers so beautifully and says, now that I am here, it's not about the place. The place is immaterial. It's about the way we worship God. And therefore, we no longer have to worship in one place. But of course, they worshipped in one place because with the, the Israelites, the priesthood, they understood the presence of God manifested itself in one place. And Jesus says, no, not anymore. And because we get to worship all over the place, we have this freedom to worship regardless of where we find ourselves. But we humans are a funny lot. And we humans can't help but fall back into practices that, that really aren't what God invites us into. You see, all through the Old Testament, the priests were given roles and responsibilities and functions. And the priests were called into this place of offering sacrifices and mediating between man and God or between people and God. And they would worship and they would serve. And, and you know what? I, when I was a youth pastor, I remember vividly I had this one teenage boy where I, I tried to encourage him one day to pray. We were in this group thing and, and I said to him, hey, would you pray for us? And true story, his answer was no. You're the professional. You're supposed to pray. But that's what we do. You know, we don't want to, to go to God directly. It just seems too fearful. And so we want somebody else to stand in that place. And so the, this new priesthood formed within the church through history, where there was a distinction and a separation 
And we see it still today, largely in the Catholic Church and in the Orthodox Church and, and even to an extent in the Anglican Church. And that's not to knock those churches at all. But there's this differentiation. This idea that some group is this elect group or the special group and, and they're more important than others. And the, the reformers came along and went, hold on. That's not biblical. When we look at the whole council of scripture, we have a high priest who intercedes to God for us, and that's Jesus. And because Jesus is within us, we get to enter into the presence of God. We don't need somebody else mediating before us or between us. You see, there was this mindset within the old Israelite temple. The temple was built in such a way that there was this outer limit and pretty much everyone could come into that outer space. And then as you slowly got into sort of an internal group, uh, then only the Jews could come. And then you would get into a slightly smaller space and this space was considered a little more holy than the rest and only the priests could come into that. And then right in the middle was the holiest of holy places, uh, the place where God's presence manifested. And only one person could go into that space, and only once a year. And so once a year, the high priest would do all these sacrifices and all these prayers to prepare himself to get into the presence of God. And because they never knew whether that person would be accepted by God, maybe they hadn't prayed properly or, or they still had sin in their life, they would tie bells to the coats of the high priest, and they would put a rope around the high priest. And he would go into the Holy of Holies where he would minister. And if they heard the bells stop and, and they called out and there was no answer, they would pull the rope because he had been killed in God's presence. Now, thankfully, there's no record of that ever happening. But that's how serious they took that. And the reformers went, wait a minute. That's not what Scripture teaches us. You know, in a moment, we're going to gather around the communion table and we're going to remember Christ's sacrifice for us. But we read in Scripture that when Jesus was crucified, when he offered up his body and his spirit, at that point, that curtain in the Holy of Holies was torn top to bottom. And it was a reminder that we are now able to come into the presence of God. We didn't need somebody else to get there for us. And so for us now, this becomes a, a key distinctive. I have access to God. You in Christ have access to God. Amen, Amen indeed. You don't need somebody else. And so we're invited into this place. That means just as the priests of old offered worship, every one of us is invited into that place to offer worship to God. We bring our worship to Jesus. We bring our worship to God, sorry, because we have Jesus within us. Jesus invites us into that place. And we become priests, priests together. You know, this is what I've explained quite often. I'm not the boss here. We're together discerning where God's leading us. Together we, we operate because we understand the Spirit of God is at work in each one of us. And we each have access to God. It's a little bit like a rock concert. 
You know, the, the very first concert I ever went to wasn't because I bought tickets to get to the concert. It was because I was a student and one of my jobs was to help set up for concerts. And people always get a great kick out of this when, when I kind of try and test them to say, what do you think the first concert I ever attended was? Well, I'll put you out of your, your concern. The very first concert I was ever at was a Tina Turner concert. Yes, I say that proudly. But you know what was really interesting is because I was part of the crew working at that concert, I didn't have to buy a ticket and I didn't have to stay you know, way in the back of the stands or right out in the nosebleed sections. I was on stage. I was just off behind the backstage. And it was just, yes, I know it's Tina Turner, but it was a really amazing experience to be on the stage and to, to see the energy and then get to chat to the band and to people. I didn't get to talk to Tina, in case you're wondering about that. But that's a little bit of what it's like for us. You see, too often we kind of think, well, I just get to see what's happening from a distance. When in fact, in Christ, we're invited right up. We're invited into the very presence. We're invited to be a part of what's going on through this priesthood of all believers. And Jesus calls us into God's presence. We read this in Hebrews chapter 10. If you've got your Bibles, why don't you turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 19. Sorry, my wire is doing something in the back here. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter into the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is, his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. The reason we practice, the reason we speak about the priesthood of all believers is because we believe that in Christ we are all priests and we are all invited into the presence of God where we worship. But priests aren't only about entering into the presence of God. Priests weren't just about worship. In fact, when we read through the Council of Scripture, and especially when we read into that Old Testament model of the priests, yes, the priests offered worship, but the priests also served the people. The priests were those who, who served in multiple ways. In fact, when we read through especially that super exciting book of Leviticus, we find a whole bunch of rules and guidelines for the presence, uh, sorry, for the priests so that they could minister to people. In fact, they would minister the forgiveness of sins so that people could be in relationship that was restored with God. We read that in Leviticus 12. They were involved in making decisions and even some medical decisions, especially around the topic of diseases and illnesses. We read that in Leviticus 13. They were even involved in mediating court cases and decisions between one another, again, for relationships with one another. We read that in, in Deuteronomy chapter 17. 
In fact, they were even involved in encouraging troops before Israel went into war. And the priests would serve their people. That's just a, a few. There's a whole bunch of ways that the priests served the people. But the thing was, it was only the priests who could serve. And in order to be a priest, you didn't just have to pass some test. You didn't just have to meet some expectations. You literally had to be born into the family. Only one tribe of Israel could serve as priests. You had to be born into that family. In fact, there are examples of people who were not priests who tried to do what only the priests could do. And they paid the consequences for that. One example is King Uzziah in 2 Chronicles chapter 26. He tries to go and offer sacrifices that only the priests could do, but he tries to offer sacrifices. And God says, no, you have no right to do this. And God punishes him and gives him leprosy because he tried to do what only the priests could do. It would be a little bit like a doctor that has trained outside of Canada. The country doesn't matter. Let's say they studied in Cuba, you know, and they trained and they're qualified as a doctor. And then they come into Canada and they try and operate and try and... Uh, act as a doctor here without the licensing agreements. Sure, they might know their job. They might be able to do the work, but they may not. They don't have the right credentials. They don't have the right paperwork. And this was the priests of the Old Testament. Only the priests could serve people. Only the priests could minister, could offer sacrifices. But now, and this is what the reformers fought for. This is what they pushed for, is that there is no distinction. We are in Christ Jesus. And therefore, each of us has the opportunity. In fact, I would say each of us has the call and the purpose to serve one another. I don't just mean in some official ministry capacity at church. Over the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about desperate needs in the Sunday school area, how we desperately need both men and women to help volunteer over for our children. And often we kind of think, okay, that's the only ministry we can do is some every week I've got to go and work with children. And Brian, I really do not like children. That doesn't mean there's no place for you to serve. We serve when we make a meal for somebody in need. We serve when we pick up the phone and, and phone someone and just encourage them as they go through some significant life experience. I mentioned this years ago, and I love it when people quote it back to me, but I said in a sermon many, many moons back, if you're not dead, you're not done. If you're not dead, you're not done. God is still able to use you and work through you as you serve. We all have a place to serve. We all have this opportunity as a priesthood to minister. And as we minister to one another, so we worship God. I want to kind of close off with one aspect of this idea of ministering, and that's ministering to God. Because I think for many of us, we understand the idea of serving one another we understand the idea of worshiping God. But as priests, we're also called to minister to God. 
And there are a number of ways we do that. And there are a number of ways the Bible invites us into this place. You know, in the Old Testament, one of the ways that we served God, or sorry, that the priests ministered to God was by bringing sacrifices and keeping fires going before the Lord, keeping the bread of the presence in the presence of God as they prayed. And so as we think of this idea of how do we bring ministry to God, how do we bring sacrifices to God, I want to draw from 1 Peter chapter 2. I won't read it, but in 1 Peter chapter 2, we are told that we are a royal priesthood who offers spiritual sacrifices to God. We minister to God as we bring spiritual sacrifices. And you might go, okay, well, Brian, what is a spiritual sacrifice? How do I sacrifice and and therefore minister to God? You know what? One of the key ways I think we do that is through confession. It's by confessing. You know, in the Old Testament, confession took on the form of a sacrifice. As the people would lay their hands on a particular animal and, and in so doing, they would symbolically transfer their sin and their guilt onto that animal and then the animal would be sacrificed. And we're going to gather around the table in a moment and be reminded that Jesus is the perfect and final sacrifice. You and I don't need to sacrifice any animals, but you and I are still called to bring confession as we come into the presence of God. To confess the sins that we commit, to confess the sins that we even omit and we forget about. We confess where we failed. We confess where we've fallen short. And when we confess, we we have confidence. We have confidence because I just read from Hebrews where Jesus is our high priest interceding for us in the presence of God. And we receive forgiveness as we confess. And when we do confess, we, we know that God will hear us and God will forgive us. He's already paid the price for us. As I close this morning, you and I are disciples of Christ if Christ is in us. If we've declared Jesus as Lord and Savior, then you and I are disciples together. But we're not only disciples, we are priests. We are priests in the presence of God. And because we are priests, we have access into that place of worship where we can worship our King of Kings and Lord of Lords. But not only do we worship God, we're invited to serve, to serve one another. And then as we serve, to bring those spiritual sacrifices into the presence of God. You and I, have a place in this incredible, this diverse, this beautiful body of Jesus Christ. And every one of us gets to serve, serve God and serve each other. And why do we do that? Because Jesus has offered himself for us. Let's pray together. Jesus, as we read through your word, We're blown away by the fact that each one of us is invited into the presence of our King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We don't need any human mediator between us and God. 
We already have a great high priest. We already have a mediator in Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that you would remind each one of us, regardless of where we find ourselves, that that we have this incredible invitation. And that as we respond, we would discover this incredible thing called worship. That our lives would become lives of worship. So that instead of asking, what do I do all week? We get to ask God, what should I do all week? What do you call me into? And then open our eyes to the fact that you call us to worship and to serve. And we can do that regardless of where we find ourselves. Perhaps as a nurse in hospital. Perhaps as a, as a teacher in school. Perhaps even as, as someone working in a business environment or a corporate environment, even as we push papers and fill out forms, even in that place we can worship you and we can serve because that's what you call us to. God, I pray that you would grow and develop your church and that you would grow and develop White Rock Baptist Church with men and women who worship who love you and who love others and who serve others. And as we do that, that we would offer spiritual sacrifices to you and we would see your kingdom come and we would see your glory displayed in this place. Thank you, Jesus, that together we are your priests. May you be glorified. Amen.